Welcome to Balancing Life's Issues, the podcast. And today we're here to continue the celebration of Black History Month. And of course, I'm joined by senior trainer and DEIB contributor, James Francis. How are you today? Doing great, Kai. Doing great. I think uh, we're a little snowed in. Turns out James and I live in the same city, uh, which we didn't know when we started working at this company. So we got kids home today. So we're uh, work-life balance in practice, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Unfortunately <laughs> for me. Uh, so today, as we were prepping for today's episode, James, you said you wanted to talk about HBCUs because you went to one. And I was like, what is that? And I've heard the term historically about college and universities. And in my mind, those are educational institutions that just happen to be a majority black, um, not by design. And so it's really interesting to kind of hear your thoughts. And I wanted you to, to teach me. Like, what, what is the history of, of HBCUs? Well, thanks, Kai. I appreciate that. And you're somewhat on the right track, mm-hmm. right? The history of the historically Black college and university is one of difficulty, is one of triumph, one of continued resilience, starting in the late 1800s, post-slavery, where we currently have 101 accredited historically Black college and universities operating in 19 states around the country and actually in the Virgin Islands. So it's really founded from both educating Black American students and also equipping them with the viable skills necessary to thrive and celebrate our ethnic history and cultures, right? And some, some history about HBCU graduates. We account for 80% of Black judges half of the black doctors and half of the black lawyers in this country, Hmm. right? So that's a very, very large percentage, right? And I'm certainly proud. And so when you look at HBCUs, and I know from your experience, uh, it's, it's kind of this idea of equal opportunity, equity, but going back to what we've been talking about this whole series, negative resilience celebrate. A group of people knew they were getting pushed out in the education circles, so they they built their own. And those are still around today. Um, and it's clear, based off the stats you were just sharing, how how much of an impact that community has um, in the workforce. And I know that we have a special guest here today. It's actually a colleague, friend, or I'll let you introduce him. Absolutely. Um, you know, this, this guy, he has been... Started from an associate, elevated to a friend, and now certainly consider him my brother, Mr. Jamal C. Boyd Sr. And he has nearly 25 years or more, I would say, background in the healthcare industry from a CEO at the Crossroads Center, former director of diversity and inclusion and language services for TriHealth in Cincinnati, Ohio. He also holds a BS in business administration from our alma mater, the Delaware State University, which happens to be HBCU. Welcome, Jamal. Good morning. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you so much for being here, Jamal. And did uh, did your friend give your bio a uh, proper intro, or is there anything you wanted to add to that? Oh, absolutely. No, I don't need to add anything to it, man. I give God glory for the opportunity to just, you know, be able to have so, so much involved in you know, a, a short life span, but I attribute all of those successes um, other than to God, but to Delaware State University. Fantastic. So I guess tell tell us listeners a little bit about your experience, Jamal, getting, you know, from where you grew up, which I believe is Philly, uh, to ending up at Delaware State. What was that process like and, and why did you choose an HBCU? 
Sure. So I grew up in Phil- in West Philadelphia in one of the worst housing projects uh, in a single parent home and, you know, gotten through a lot of adversity um, to get to be able to go to college um, after graduating high school. Um, two days before I left to go away to school, uh, the summer of 1993, my mother was uh, incarcerated. So we had to send my mother off to prison in Lexington, mm. Kentucky, two days before I went to school. Leading up to that, that summer, I had looked at a number of colleges because I had no clue of how I was going to get to college or how to pay for college. And my godmother, her brother, uh, got rest in peace, um, worked at Delaware State University as one of the professors. And she said, let me get you connected nice. to him. Okay. And you go down to freshman orientation. And then uh, when I went down to freshman orientation, it just blew my mind because I had never seen that many people who looked like Mm. me in one place having such a great time over those three or four days that we were there. And that's what attracted me to go to college. Now, I had put in applications at uh, University of of Pennsylvania, Temple, which I call 13th grade, um, Penn State, um, you know, Pitt and had not gotten a positive response uh, for acceptance into many of those schools. Some did, some did not. But when I went to Dell State, you didn't have to tell me anything else. And when I found out that the tuition was only uh, $4,404 a semester (laughs) and that I could take out student loans to pay for that, I was in. And it was the experience and decision that forever changed my life. Wow. And is James, does that story ring a bell for you as well? in terms of how you got to that place? It's a different story, right? For myself, I was born and raised in the South Bronx. And while I was in high school looking at colleges, a lot of you know friends at that time, they were all attending college in-state, a lot of University of Albany's, a lot of SUNY's, right, state universities. I didn't mm-hmm. want to stay here. I didn't want to stay in New York. And you know, I didn't really know where I wanted to go at that point. But a best friend of mine, Mr. Dwayne Sims, who's actually the treasurer of Wilmington, Delaware currently, his older brother was in attendance at Delaware mm. State. And speaking with him and him inviting me down once again to see them, and it changed yeah. my world. It blew my mind. And here's where it comes to similar to Jamal's story. Right. Just seeing the atmosphere, a place where, you know what, I was the majority. Right. This was something I've never seen, Mm -hmm. even here in New York City. I've never been in a space where I'm like, oh, my goodness, we are actually the majority somewhere, but not in a negative aspect, but in viewing and attempting to achieve greatness. Through education. Right. At at the numbers, at thousands. And that was a wonderful thing. Yeah. So what I've heard from both of you is this idea of connections. So, you know, the fact that, you know your backgrounds were somewhat different, different. Um, but you kind of like, it's like a funnel. I'm imagining a giant funnel and then that it kind of ends at, uh, HBCU. Um, so tell me about the importance and maybe Jamal, you could start the importance of those connections as you transition from majority black experience back into, like, I guess you could call the real world, right? Where you're going to find yourself maybe as the 3% in a company and trying to get a seat at that table. Like what was your experience with that transition and and what's that like still today? Well, I think, you know, you have to start from the beginning. So when we went down to freshman orientation, those connections started there. 
because we started building relationships that weekend that now have spanned over, you know, 20, 30 years, right? And as a result of that, you know, uh, talking with the elder classmen that were in fraternities and sororities was what helped us to say, hey, you know what? This is the school I'm going to choose. And then when you got back on campus to start your college career, those were the people that you connected with because they embraced you. Mm -hmm. They made you feel like you were a part of something that you weren't even connected to at the time. So those relationships that started at freshman orientation that then migrated into I'm in the same class with you. Um, I'm, we're, we're hanging out together. We're shooting pool. We're going to the mall. We're having drinks. You know, we're we're going. You're coming to my city during break to stay with me and I'm going home to your house to stay with you. So those connections started those relationships that were again, associates, friendships, familial now, even though we're not blood. So then you fast forward post-graduation, you start to now come out of that majority uh, space and you're back into the minority space. You're bringing that culmination of relationships and things that you've learned and, you know, the different areas that you've been exposed to from around the country to make you more of a diverse person. Mm -hmm. But then it helps you to be more accepting and more influential, if you will, also as you get into these majority settings because you're bringing a unique experience that companies and communities cannot relate right. to. In many cases, because you are now the unicorn, even though you're in a smaller, you know, minority, but you're bringing experiences even into the professional world. Can't nobody tell me anything about resourcing, you know, because I grew up in a project. I know how to resource, right. but also me going to Maryland, me going to D.C., me going to California and other places in the country and connecting with my HBCU family that gave me, you know, that exposure that I now blend into life's experiences that help with that migration back into majority setting. It's so interesting. And it was, there were so many lessons that I learned at 17 to 21, that I didn't realize at the time until I came back into the quote unquote real world in which I was a minority, but my mentality was the biggest change that for myself personal, that my experiences drew from my HBCU. Being comfortable in any room, in any space, with anyone, was the largest takeaway from Delaware State University. And that was because that was filtered through us, through our professors, through each other, through our friends, right? Traveling and right. Being, being more social. And believe it or not, it grew my diverse and inclusive mindset being at HBCU. Right. And mm. that's from the point where, hey, someone across the room, a person of color or a female or someone from a different generation, they might not feel as comfortable in the room because they're, they're now the minority. I never right. felt that way. And that was certainly accredited to that confidence boost in once again being around thousands of like minded people for my four years. Well, my five years, but I digress. I, I was a fiver. <laughs> Jamal well, was a yeah. four. So well, I, yeah. I was I, I was a four er <laughs> because I refused to come back and pay for one class and stay for a semester. So I bust my tail to get out of yeah. four. But I was looking I at six I, in my defense. I, I ended up in five. <laughs> Don't worry, Kai. Well, we have no, some but friends I, like I, that. <laughs> James uh, said one word that, that resonated and that I meant to share as well, confidence, right? Because yeah. I believe that 
my HBCU experience, particularly Dell State, uh, boosted. I, I already had confidence, and I think maybe it was cockiness before I learned the difference between the two. But Dell State definitely boosted my confidence, as James said, to be able to somewhat chameleonize, if you will, you mm. know, walk into any room, uh, be able to adapt, adjust, and influence and change, you know, versus be influenced by. And it's a life model that I live by now, but I credit that to. Delaware State University and that experience there because I know that my education um, from Dell State is just as competitive as anybody's from Harvard. Yeah. And you cannot water it down just because it's an HBCU. And it gives me the confidence to know, you know, I bring skills, I bring qualifications and the quality of that. And don't look at my resume and say, well, you don't, you didn't go to Yale. You didn't go to Harvard. No, I went to Delaware State. But I could work circles around anybody that you put me in a room with because I, I'm confident in the education that I received. And I've already delivered, you know, results that support that. Yeah. I heard the word chameleon. Maybe you can kind of open that up a little bit. So are, are you talking about your ability to to like adapt to situations or are you talking about like the version of self you bring i guess ex- expand on that idea a little bit so the chameleon concept is is somewhat twofold you know it's being able to not allow your circumstances and situations to to dictate who you are but being able to adjust to them so that you survive and thrive the other mm-hmm. part is being able to be a change agent as a, 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 a chameleon you know because a chameleon uh takes on the conditions or the colors of their circumstances or wherever they are. But, you know, uh, as minorities historically, and this is where our resilience and what we celebrate all, all come together, you know, we are always, we have always been since we've been brought to this country an exception to the rule. We've had to work harder. We've had to, you know, prove ourselves differently. And as you start to migrate that into, you know, modern day, professional uh, society and and culture, you know, that has not changed. Mm -hmm. But we have to make sure that we are able to adapt to the conditions that we're given and still be successful. That's where that chameleonizing comes into into play. We deal with a lot more than many other cultures do and don't um, to be successful. But we still have to thrive, but we can't let that slow us down or stop us. So being a chameleon, you know, you don't have to be the first, but you should always strive to be the best Absolutely, because that's what helps us to make sure that, you know, again, we are able to overcome the challenges. Don't let the challenges stop us because a lot of them are there intentionally. You know, I've walked into situations and companies where people said stuff to me that they were just trying to see how thick skin Mm -hmm. I was. I'm like, do you know I'm from the project (laughs) that don't frazzle me like for real? But that's where that chameleon concept comes from. Thanks for clarifying that. And, you know, one thing I was thinking about as you're talking about is this idea of empathy or or story or how do we learn from one another, right? Because we have to be able to to be in a place where you can ask hard questions and maybe say the wrong thing and have the trust to – that you'll be corrected, but the humility to learn. Like I was even learning this morning. Um, you know, I think there was a story I told uh, kind of came across as like a, like a colorblind comment, right? Um, but I was able to receive that feedback and, and learn from it and, and expand, expand on the idea that, you know, the importance of someone's background adds value to their story. And I think what we're seeing a lot right now, and if James, if you want to jump in and answer this is, we're, they're watering down education. 
they're removing DEIB programs from states and universities. So what did you learn about diversity at, at Delaware State? And what's the importance of, it, of us continuing to learn about one another in that way? I'm going to say first and foremost that the DEI conversations will not stop mm-hmm. due to people like yourself, Kai, myself, and Mr. Boyd. It's kind of like opening that, you know, that wonderful box of chocolates. <laughs> Don't start to close the box now. I, I would certainly say the spark has been lit for many, many people and the conversation will not mm-hmm. stop. I will not stop having this as conversation. As long as we continue having Whether it. it's, yes. Right. They can't Whether stop. we're having a formal podcast or Kai, you and I are having a conversation, you know, in our local, our local uh-huh. deli. These conversations will continue to happen organically. And, you know, that's the mentality that many of us have currently. I do not have to be listed as a quote unquote expert in a field to speak towards justice, equality, equity, inclusion for everyone. One of the first things I say when I get on a, um, a platform and speak, I, this conversation for everyone, why wouldn't you love to have it? And I'm sure Jamal can relate to that, right? To continue to move the needle in any and every possible way I can. And I promise you, I credit that mindset and mentality from attending Delaware State University. Well, I too, you know, think James and, and Kai that this is um, important for keeping the conversation moving for one, you know, very important word, impact. And we want to have impact because impact is what causes change. And even James in what you said about, you know, making people or, or being comfortable with having a conversation, we have to force the conversation even if it causes people to be uncomfortable, um, simply because that's awareness, that's impact as well. When I started uh, in in diversity, it was, I was the first, right? Here's that first word again, uh, director of the Office of Health Equity, which was basically, you know, DEI or, you know, belonging inclusion, but I ran that for the state of Pennsylvania. And we didn't really know what that was. You know, you had offices of minority health and offices of, of diversity and, you know, things like that as the years progress. But let's not negate the progress that we've made since then, even though it may be incremental, but we have to keep forcing it. So, you know, as the government is trying to restrict, you know, this from learning or funding, if you provide DEI training and receive funding from the federal government being cut off, yeah. we still have to start at home mm-hmm. having, the, you know, conversations about diversity with our little ones because we want to have impact. I'm not just a diversity officer. I'm a diverse person. Sure. So that gives me the right to have this conversation in any setting, not in an offensive yeah. way, but in an influential way. And that's where, you know, we have to see the impact. I, I look at this like, uh, you know, your finger in a pond. And when you touch that pond, you have impact. Um, that's the conversation that we have to have. And had I not had that HBCU experience, you know, I would not be able to, um, without certain learnings, be as versed as I am in what diversity means. And again, how that has changed my life, but influenced the lives of many others as a result of my experience. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for that message. And um, 
you know, I really appreciate your time on being here and sharing your story. And um, James, were there any any final thoughts here on on the HBCU and and as we kind of look at this this version of Black History Month? Absolutely, it's it's a message that I want to make sure everyone hears. HBCU does not stand for all Black college and university. Hmm. It is historical Black college and university, meaning we are inclusive. Everyone is welcome to attend. I in, I implore people of different backgrounds and ethnicities to send their children to HBCUs. It is certainly okay. Take it from me. It's okay to be the minority. <laughs> it is okay. It is okay. Yeah. Because what happens is we can learn to thrive. We can educate ourselves. Right. Have that willingness to have these uncomfortable and difficult conversations and come out the other side as wonderful, wonderful, educated human beings. And that's what it's all about. Fantastic. Well, thanks again to our guest, Jamal, for being here. And thank you, James, uh, for helping produce this programming. And we got to throw a shout out to Vivian, who did a lot of research for us for this episode. So um, hats off to them. And don't forget to join us Friday, February 23rd for our free live webinar titled DEIB Navigating the Difficult Conversation, hosted by myself and facilitated by, of course, James here. Um, registration info is available at bli-info.com slash free webinars. Thanks again, Jamal, for being here. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. And James, thank you. Thanks so much for having me once again, Kai. Appreciate it. Until next time, everyone. Take care. This has been a production of Balancing Life's Issues with your hosts, Kai Sorensen and Wendy Walner. Produced by me, Kai. Rate, leave a review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen so you can get brand new episodes as they drop. Got an idea for the show? Email me, kai at balancinglifesissues.com. Anything to add, Miles? <laughs>